0: I'm glad you're here for week one of a series that we're starting. We've got five weeks ahead of us. I think the content that we're going to cover is pretty important. I see it play out in all kinds of people's lives, including my own life. And so, uh, oh, we have a big spill? Oh, that's too bad. It would have been more fun that way. <laughs> I have no idea where I'm at. I'm, I'm concentrated on the spill on the table. It doesn't actually exist. Okay. Oh, yeah, here it is. Um, uh, the reason I think this is important for you is I wish I would have known about some of this stuff when I was younger. We're, t- we're going we're to talk about these contexts in the context of marriage. So, if you're married, if you're planning to get married, if you talk with people who are married, this is important for you to pay attention to. But in the back of my mind, I'm convinced that this plays out in relationships, all kinds of relationships. And if if you'll engage with it, it's going to be helpful for you. It'll be something that you can use, um, not just in marriage, even though we're going to talk specifically about marriage. Um, The reason it was hard is because I went into marriage thinking it would be easy, and I didn't realize that it would be so much work. And I've become convinced that if anybody tells you that marriage will be easy, you should suspect that they're writing a romantic comedy and you should ignore them, right? Um, I hate those. There's a lot of reasons I hate those. You know the plot five minutes into the movie, right? You know how it's gonna um, turn out. There's no action scenes whatsoever. And they provide unrealistic expectations for your wife to talk to you about. That's the reasons I hate those movies. Um, the rest of us have to live in reality, and reality's harder. And reality has gotten weirder, too, because for many of us, reality um, is a type of TV that we watch. I want to see how many of you are willing to admit it. It's become a genre of TV for about 20 years now that people are watching because they're told that what's happening there is unscripted. You're getting something real, even though I kind of suspect there's a lot of scripting going on. I'd like to know how many of you, as a guilty pleasure, are currently involved in watching some sort of reality TV. Make some noise if that's you. Noise, noise. Yeah, the rest of you are liars. You should have broken my ears, right? Now, here's, here's what we think. Um, What we decided is we want to take some truths about marriage, about relationships, and attach it to the kind of TV shows that people are already watching with the hope that maybe when you see that show, maybe when you see the ad for that show, you'll think about the idea, and you'll remember that. The first show that we're going to talk about is a show that a lot of people watch, but not one of you cheered for when I asked you if you watched it, naked and afraid, right? Nobody wants to admit it, but there's a lot of viewers of this show. And um, yeah, it's disturbing. Let me me give you the premise of the show as far as I see it. Two strangers meet and decide to play Garden of Eden in a place that isn't the Garden of Eden. That's that's what happens on that show. Just think about it. Um, God sends Adam and Eve out of the garden and he says, look. Sin has touched the world. It's so bad out there. You need protection. I'm going to clothe you. Put some clothes on him. And these people, these people, this robe, walk out into the wilderness for 21 days to see if they can survive. I do not like camping. I don't like the idea of camping. I don't think it's fun at all. But now add on top of that, that you go out there without food, without a tent, without clothes. That's nuts, right? That's crazy. There are people that they drop out. Look at this. They drop them out in the tundra, in 30-degree weather, and say, I hope you survive. I propose renaming the show naked and not so smart, right? (laughs) That's what's happening. Now, there's a reason we picked this show, because it is the polar opposite of what God is hoping that we'll accomplish in marriage. And, and we're going to kind of make that case. Where we want to start this morning is with a song that paints a really positive picture. There's all kinds of songs on relationships. But this one is going to paint a picture of what God had in mind when he said, man, I want two people to get married. This, this song could easily be sung to God. But because of how God has in mind for how marriage is supposed to work, it should be a song that we should be able to sing to our spouse. I want you to check this out.
1: so like you to keep pursuing it soon It's so like me to go astray But you, you guard my heart with your truth The kind of love that's bulletproof And I surrender to your kindness, oh. hard truth and ridiculous grace Can I find the reasons why you give me so much? Cause I'm fully know that I am loved by you Cause you won't let go, no matter what I do And it's not one or the other It's hard truth and ridiculous grace to be
0: can see how that song could easily be sung to God, but some of us can't imagine being able to sing that to somebody else. But this is what God had in mind, that somebody would fully know you, show you grace and love and kindness. That's, that's his idea. You can see it unfold in the scriptures, that kind of safety and security is what he had in mind. I'm going to read you a very famous verse. It's going to be read at every marriage series you hear. It's going to be read at weddings. You're going to hear this all the time because this is God establishing marriage in the Garden of Eden. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. There's a sense of oneness, team, of unity there that's unique. By the way, God describes himself as one you see God the Father in the Scriptures. You see God the Son in the Scriptures. You see God the Holy Spirit in the Scriptures. And if you were asked the question, well, how do I make sense of this? He would say, the Lord our God, the God is one. He describes himself being that united. Like you can't tell it part. You, you, you wouldn't look at him. That's the picture that God has in mind that we'll find a way to do with each other. That there's a sense of unity, of purpose, of souls That you're bound with another person in a way that they see a team. That people see a team in you. It's an incredible picture. And it's a picture God was painting. But here's the thing. I want to concentrate on the verse that doesn't get as much press. It follows verse 24. And this is what it says. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Now you have to keep in mind the scriptures were not written down for hundreds of years. They passed these down in oral stories and they did that in a way so that people would catch pictures uh, and images, metaphors of things because they couldn't read and write. This is not about whether somebody's clothed or not. This is about somebody knowing you. Knowing you so well that they know everything about you and it doesn't produce any shame. No fear, no embarrassment, no judgment. Like they see the best and they see the worst. And there's no fronts. You don't front with that person at all. That sounds like dating, right? Where you go out and you let somebody see who you are fully. That's not, that's not how I did it. Um, but my first date with my wife, um, God corrected some things. So I want to have a really good front with her. And I borrowed my friend's car. And I wrecked it on the date. Yeah, I don't want to talk about it any more than that, <laughs> except to say that she had a couple options at that point. Ooh, I'm with a winner. <laughs> or she had the option of seeing somebody that had, their front was gone, man. I had, I had no choice. It was embarrassing. It was humiliating. There was nobody else to blame but me. I did it. I wasn't even in the car. I can't even explain what I did, I, but I did it. And um, it actually ended up being really good for our relationship because she got to see me in a bad place right away and how I would respond to that. And because there were no fronts, it ended up being a really good thing. Now, here's, here's the thing. This picture of being fully known by somebody and still loved is what God has in mind. But when I watch, when I watch my own marriage when I watch other people struggling in this reality that we're living in, I watch naked and afraid a lot. It doesn't unfold as known and no shame. It unfolds as known and they kind of use this stuff against me. Like why? How could that happen? Well, there's one really big reason. God established marriage in a perfect place. And it's an ideal. It's this thing that we should be pursuing. It's this thing that we should want. But we come into the marriages. We come into these relationships that we have with other people, broken and messed up, and so do they. Sin has touched our world. And because sin has touched our world, it's kind of messed up all kinds of stuff. It's made things harder than God intended. It's kind of like, <laughs> it's kind of like a TV show. Where you take your clothes off and you wander out in the wilderness and you just made it harder than it had to be. Why would you do something like that? Well, they're doing it, obviously, for ratings. But what's amazing to me is, is, is I've watched like stuff of that show to try and prepare for this. I've been surprised at how shocked people are when it's difficult. Like, I can't believe how hard this is. You went out there without any food, clothes, or shelter. What did you expect? But can I tell you, I hear the same shock in the voices of people as they talk to me about their marriage. They say stuff like this. We're in love. It shouldn't be this hard. I told them what annoys me, and they keep doing it. Something must be wrong. (laughs) That's one of my favorites, right? They'll get to a place Where they'll say, I just don't know if I'm connecting with this person anymore and if I made the wrong choice. It got that hard and that serious. Why? Because sin makes things difficult, it disrupts the normal flow. And, um,. As I was listening to the the show, Naked and Afraid, I found some clips that I wanted to show you, and then I thought, "Mm, bad idea. Um, (laughs) We decided it would just be too distracting, and so what we're going to do instead is we're going to play some audio clips of two people who went out in the jungle to survive, and things didn't go as planned, and I want you to hear how this goes. Listen to this.
1: I'm feeling miserable because I started reflecting on the way that things have been going on with Max. Like, he's very inflexible, and things have to be done his way. Want him to? No, I'm okay. Are you okay? I don't know. Huh? I don't know. What do you mean? Like, lately I feel like you've been really frustrated with me. Like, I was trying to get my pole out and refix the the awning or yeah. whatever it is. No, for sure. I, I, I've, I've definitely been frustrated just because I feel like I'm doing double the work. I don't know. It just feels like I'm putting a lot more effort in. For what? For everything. In what way? Everything. You know, like, yesterday with the fire, like, that, that was your only thing was to try to keep that fire going. I tried. You know, it's just like... I, I don't know, sometimes it just feels like you came into this with like no skills for this, you know okay. what I mean? All right, I'm ready to tap. Seriously? I'm ready. What? I'm ready. Are you serious? <laughs> hey. I can't do this. I can't take insult after insult. I'm not insulting No, you. I don't want to talk anymore. I just don't want to talk anymore.
0: Bianca. When she said, I'm going to tap, that means she's leaving the show. And he was complaining about how much work he was doing. Now he gets to do it all, right? And that's what happens. That's what happens in relationships. And it got to a place where it was a breaking point and she was done. She was ready to cash out. Now what's fascinating, um, there's a lot of moments on the show that happen like that, but there's some that go like this instead. This is a different couple in a different circumstance, much shorter clip, but I want you to hear what she says about her experience.
1: Stephen has every single day provided support that is so much more than I probably could have given myself. And honestly, he has cared for me in ways that I have never had anyone care for me in my entire life. But it definitely makes me like, admire and appreciate him.
0: Two strangers walk off into the jungle... Two are ready to take each other's throats out. Two, he basically kept her alive. He kept her alive during that time. And they end up with respect and admiration for each other. And it makes you wonder what happened that's different. Can I just tell you, I have that same, have that same kind of question when I watch marriages too. Some marriages seem to walk off into the wilderness and they're okay. They do well, they come back stronger, and others just tear themselves apart, and you wonder what made the difference, because as it turns out, there's a lot of pathways that you can take to destroy your marriage. If, if you go and Google, um, give me a list of reasons why people say they divorce, they'll give you a whole bunch of websites and the, with lists, and the lists are different. Like, there's a lot of reasons that are covered for why people say they're getting divorced, but here's what's fascinating. The research into marriage says none of those reasons are why people actually get divorced. It has nothing to do with it. It has to do with how you go down that path. It has to do with how you communicate. What you say, how you say it, what you do on each of those paths. You can go down a treacherous path and come out strong. Or you can go down that path doing the wrong things and you'll be destroyed. So what I want to do this morning is I want to take you and expose you to the four things that they have found that are consistent, that that end with marriages being dissolved. Doesn't matter what the situation, doesn't matter the path, doesn't matter if you're complaining about money, doesn't matter if you're complaining about physical relationships, doesn't matter if you're complaining about whatever that is, it's these four things that are the critical things. And we already heard the first one in the clip, that first clip. Did you hear her say, I can't take the constant, what, criticism. She didn't say criticism, but fault finding. Criticism, number one. It's the number one reason that causes relationships to have significant problems. Here, I want you to see um, what the scriptures say about this. Because in the context of marriage, If the goal is for you to know somebody and to be known by somebody, what happens when the marriage gets full of criticism is they're using the stuff that they know about you to point out your flaws. Does that sound like oneness? This is what Paul has to say. He's talking to the church. He's talking to them about how they would love each other, which is kind of important in marriage. And he talks about one thing that would destroy the church's ability to love each other. Look at what he says in verse 15. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. If you want a perfect definition for what criticism is, you can see it right there. Bite and devour. And it could be anything. It could be the way that person um, chooses to live. It could be the way they think. It could be what they do or don't do that you like. It could be an annoying thing. It could be a character thing that you think they have and you just pick, pick, pick at them. Generally, this starts with one person with, and they think, this is how they think. I know because I'm the person in my relationship who did this. They think I'm just helping them do it right. So I'm gonna help them fix all of these things that they're doing wrong. And so you nitpick and you nitpick and you nitpick. And I went into my marriage thinking that the way I did things, the way I was raised, the way I understood the world was right. And I would nitpick and nitpick and nitpick on my wife. These flaws that we point out, they cause them to feel like I can't, can't satisfy you. And they, they create shame. Shame because you're obviously doing something wrong and you're pointing it out it has nothing to do with oneness at this point it has everything to do with a fear afraid that you're going to get another tongue lashing that somebody's going to say another sarcastic thing about you that you're going to have to deal with another outburst of anger or whatever it is that they have you now have an introduced into your relationship known and fear naked and afraid And you did it through criticism. Now you may be thinking, but Blair, we live in a world of sin. And I obviously married somebody who's messed up. And I've got to be able to tell them that they're messed up sometimes. How can I do that? Well, there's a way. There's a way to do it without it being criticism. The researchers have called this, um, by the way, it's a very narrow definition. It's not complaining the way you and I think about it, where you just kind of whine about stuff all day long. It's a very specific definition to help you understand there's something that you could do that's not criticism. Here's the definition of it. Um, the, The complaint starts with how you feel. I feel this way, and I want to tell you how I feel. And hopefully you're talking to somebody who loves you and cares about how you feel. And if they don't, then tell them how you feel about that. Right? Have a conversation about that sort of thing. But it starts with how you feel. It's delivered with calm emotions. You're just trying to be matter of fact about it. This is what's happening. I'm going to try to say this as calmly as possible because I want you to hear what I have to say. And it's about the very specific, like it's X. Whatever you're talking about, you're talking about just that thing. And you keep it specific. And because you tell somebody how you feel in a way that's not overly emotional, like not big, and it's specific, you can actually solve problems with each other. You can tell them what you want. Criticism does all the opposite. Criticism says you, it uses you statements. You did this. You said this. You think that. You are this way. And it indicts people. And they have to defend themselves from you because of the indictment. It's done with caustic emotions. Whether that's anger. anger's not the only one. You can be passive aggressive. You can be belittling. You can use all kinds of caustic emotions in your criticism. And you think it's being helpful. Uh, another incredible thing about <laughs> criticism is it's not about X. It's about X, Y, and Z. And while you're at it, if you have to throw in the kitchen sink, you will. And so it becomes this huge argument. And you're baffled. Like you're like, I thought we were talking about me not putting on the cap to the toothpaste. What does this have to do with Thanksgiving three years ago? <laughs> it's criticism. That's what's happening. Somebody dug it all up and dumped it all out and now it's a mess. And that's exactly what criticism does. Told you I did this with my own marriage. It got to a point in our relationship where my wife looked at me and said, I'm not really sure if I can make you happy. And here, this is the This is the kind of gem I am. I thought at the time when she said that, if you'd stop doing annoying stuff, we'd be fine. (laughs) Right? Because I'm brilliant like that. Here's the truth. I did all kinds of harm to my relationship that took a lot of effort to repair over the years. You know what's funny? Uh, My wife came to the first service And uh, we were talking afterwards, and she said, you know, Blair, um, I know you're doing better, but it was so bad for so long that I still carry a sense of fear that you might go back to that. Do you understand? We're not just talking about a little damage that you do in your relationship. Like, we're working hard at this. We really like each other. And she still has some of that fear in the background playing out because of how I treated her. If you're tolerating criticism in your relationship, you are doing untold damage. And you should not be okay with it because it will not lead you to places that you will like. Not only does it do damage, it has the ability to add to other problems that are in the relationship. Uh, the second thing that I want to talk about can be a standalone. You can even give a complaint to somebody and they'll use this technique to not listen. You can say, I feel this way. And they'll say, you shouldn't feel this way. (laughs) It is a feeling. It is what I have. You can't really tell me how to feel. And yet we do that with each other all the time. But criticism on top of this magnifies it. And it becomes a significant problem. I want you to see how this plays out when it's done perfectly. Uh, God is confronting Adam. Adam has eaten the fruit. He's done what God didn't want him to do. And God, who is going to do this perfectly, is talking to Adam about the problem. And here's Adam's response. This is verse 12. I might have put 13 on the screen, but it's verse 12. The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. It's not me. It's her. And if you want to get technical, God... I was doing pretty good on my own before you gave me to her. So maybe it's you. Whoever it is, it's not my fault. And you're getting the classic picture of what defensiveness is right here. Is an attempt to affix blame to somebody other than you. I'm not responsible. I'm not even responsible for the smallest part. It's her. It's him. They're the ones who have this problem. Defensiveness builds a wall. It stops you from actually hearing and communicating with another person because you're not actually trying to solve the problem anymore. All you want to do is affix blame. Cuz that removes any responsibility from you and then you can feel good about it. If you can just push it off on somebody else, you're good. Have you ever thought Have you ever thought about he how Eve felt right after she heard those words? Did she feel like somebody knew her and loved her, or did she feel thrown under the bus? And I was afraid whether this guy would stab her in the back other times too. Defensiveness, it almost always elevates the level of conversation to a point where you cannot resolve a problem. You don't resolve a problem when you're defensive. All you're trying to do is lay blame on somebody else. And when you think about it, there's no way defensiveness has anything to do with oneness and love because its whole purpose is to blame somebody else, which is exactly what fear is. I want you to carry the fault for this. You're the one who did what's wrong. And our defensiveness paves the way. Often it starts with one person being defensive from some criticism. But when both people get involved, nothing is resolved. And you do damage to your relationship. A third one, I want to take you to uh, Ephesians. Paul's talking about the church. And uh, oddly enough, we're going to use what he says about the church's desire to be united to each other, which is what, again, is happening in marriage. He's trying to create a unity, a oneness, And so I think it's fair to use this. Paul uses marriage one chapter later as an example for the church. So we're going to use the church as an example for us. And I want you to hear um, what he says can be effective in creating unity with each other. He says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow up to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Saying, look, if you want to be a mature church, you'll start speaking to each other in love. The opposite of that is that you close your mouth and you don't say what's true to each other. By the way, this is what happens in marriages. And, and it happens in a couple ways. One of them's obvious, so it's easier to point a finger at and say, man, that's messed up. And unfortunately, once again, I possess that one. That's, I learned it from my family. I'm really quite good at it. It's called stonewalling. And it's this thing that you do when you get to a place in the argument where you think, I don't think this is going to go anywhere. I'm not sure this is going to be resolved. So I'm going to leave the conversation. I'm not actually going to leave. I'm just going to sit here and go dead. (laughs) Right? I shut off my emotions. I shut off my mind. I shut off my facial expressions. I shut down everything. My wife is still animated. She's trying to solve the problem. She's talking. I'm chilling. Right? I'm having a good day. It's like... Are you going to say anything? No. And I could say anything for days if I wanted to. My parents could go for weeks. They were pros. I'm, I'm still, no, I'm pro. I'm good. I could do it too. It doesn't solve anything. Why? It's immature. It's like a kid who can't get his way, and you take your ball and you go home. I took the conversation, and I just stopped it. Sometimes people get to this place because the criticism they receive is so overwhelming. They feel so overwhelmed by it. They just shut down. They don't know what to do with it. So there's a lot of complicated reasons for it. But for many of us, we get to a place in the conversation and we think, "Ah, maybe we can make this go away if we just stop talking. Has that ever worked? You might stop talking for a while but it does not go away. It comes up on the next rainy day. The other way we stonewall is a little more subtle, but, but a lot of us do it too, where something's happening that just bothers us, and we know we need to say something. We should say something. We want to say something, and instead, we swallow it and stuff it down. It's a stonewall. You didn't speak the truth in love. You thought the best way to solve that was to bury it, but we all know how this is going to end, right? We don't know when it's going to end, but we know that someday down the line, it's going to explode out everywhere, and it's going to be a big mess, and you're going to bring it all out in one big fell swoop, and then you'll start stuffing again. Stonewalling becomes this thing where you think it's a technique that actually works, and Come on, you know it doesn't. I know it doesn't, and I still struggle with it. Um, There are techniques we're going to talk about in the next few weeks that you can do that allows you to find a way to finish these conflicts that you have with each other without going all stonewalled. Now, here's the thing. If you're tolerating any of these stonewalling, defensiveness, criticism in your relationship, you're building up a mess and where it will lead to is the fourth one that they've seen in relationships. And I'm gonna be really direct with you on this. If, if I describe this and you feel like this is your relationship, you need to seek professional counseling immediately and I'm not joking around. They label this a marriage killer. When you've piled up enough that this last one comes into play, you're in trouble. It's solvable. You can find a way to dig your way out of it, but if you ignore it, you're in trouble. And it's the simple word, it's contempt. You start to despise that person. When you think of them, you have disgust for them. You talk to them with scorn on your lips. You make jokes of them in public, but they're They're so full of barbs that you know you mean it and you're trying to hurt them just a little. It's brutal. Your view of them is negative in everything that you see. When you see them doing something, what comes to your mind is a negative thought. And you've gotten to a place where you've so filled up your life with a wrong view of who they are that if you don't turn the corner, it will end your relationship. Now, here's the thing. Over the next four weeks, we're going to talk about some stuff that you could be doing, that you should be doing, that helps you build towards the oneness that God has in mind for your relationship. This ideal of having somebody who fully knows you and loves you and supports you and cares for you is something you can work on. Is something you can build towards. There's things that you can put effort into. But you have to start with at least being honest about what's happening in your relationship. Is there criticism? Is there defensiveness? Is there stonewalling? Is there contempt? Because if it's there and it's unaddressed, if, you don't, if you're not honest about it and you're not willing to face it, it will do untold damage. And so I hope this week, as you leave here, you'll have a conversation. This will be fun. This will be fun. Go and say, let's sit down with each other and say, which one of these on this list do you struggle with the most? And where this turns fun is when they say, this is mine, and you say, I don't think so. I think that's yours. Right? (laughs) Don't do that unless you can, like, find a way to do it calmly. If you can have a good conversation about it, that's fine. But this is the kind of stuff that has to start happening. Because unless you address these things, it is not the problem that's the problem. It's the way we communicate, the way we treat each other, and the way we go down these different paths that are. And I hope you can start being honest about what's going on in your relationship. I know what I'm weak at. I told you what I was weak at. I have to pay attention to that for the sake of my marriage. I want to ha- be with her for a long time. And the only way that's going to happen is if I manage the criticism that comes out of my mouth, the stonewalling that I do. That's the truth. It's no different for you either because you're living in reality with me. Can I pray for you? God you have this beautiful ideal that you set in the garden that two people would be so connected so in love so know each other and support each other that they would be one that would be like a picture of what, what you are God incredible and yet sin has tainted so much of our experience it's It's brought broken people into relationships with each other, and it turns into a mess. And part of that is because we become comfortable with ways of talking to each other, of interacting with each other that do harm. So God, I ask that you would allow us as people who have connections and relationships, people who have marriages, to face the truth, to face the truth about how we communicate and how we treat each other. And let that be the starting place for us to build towards unity and oneness and love. I know the Holy Spirit is going to be true in revealing these things to us. He's going to be faithful in saying, look, I really think this is your issue. I want you to pay attention to this. And I ask as He does that work that we would listen. That we would give Him our attention, and we would accept the work that we need to do. We ask for all of that. In Jesus' name, amen.